0: Blog Talk Radio. Yes, welcome, uh, good, good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education. Uh, we hope you feel free to take part in this conversation where we try to bring uh, state educational leaders to you and to bring issues that are important to those of us in the education community and beyond uh, to everyone. Uh, today we're going to have a very interesting uh, conversation, we'll be talking about equity, Uh, In education, that's one of the buzzwords that goes around, but sometimes we have to actually define what equity is. And before we get started, I should say, if you want to send a question in to me, you can log into our chat room. Uh, You have to log in with Blog Talk Radio. There's no fee for that. And then you just type in the question, and I'll pass it on to our guests. Uh, I'm very happy to have the guest that I have today. Uh, She's the former Commissioner of Education with... um, New Jersey, uh, Kimberly Harrington Marcus now. Uh, So welcome, Kimberly.
1: Thank you, Ray. I'm excited to be here. Hello, everyone.
0: It's always good to have you here. Uh, So um, I saw you speak on equity, and equity is a really important topic, but uh, like I said, it's uh, kind of a buzzword. What is equity?
1: Yeah, well, equity, I mean, I think often equity is confused with equality, um, and while both are uh, no pun intended, equally important. I think recognizing the difference is um, critical in this conversation where equality is associated with treating people the same um, and everyone having the same. Uh, equity is really ensuring that everyone receives what they need to be successful, and even if that varies across racial or socioeconomic lines. So. You know, we're really trying to key into that conversation in education and have been for, you know, several years now, really trying to ensure that each and every one of our students have um, access to the opportunities, the skills, uh, the resources that will help them to be successful um, in whoever they are, both in a career as well as, um, as a, a citizen uh, moving forward into their lives.
0: So um, just as a follow-up to that is, Equality in, in the old school would be you, you have the same exact lesson plan for every single student. Everything is, is pretty much, everyone's treated exactly the same. you view them exactly the same. Uh, but equity is a little bit different. It's a little bit more differentiated instruction.
1: Correct. And it's thinking about um, rather than that, you know, we want to be fair, and sometimes in thinking about fairness and everybody gets the same, that's not actually fair or equitable to use today's topic word um, for students because each student has their own individual um, needs and they are their own unique person. And so we need to really be thinking about in the classroom and have been for years, we've been talking about differentiation and what that looks like and how do we peer instruction and supports for students. Um, as they navigate through the day and from subject to subject, because, you know, what one student may need um, in their mathematics class may be different than what they need in their science class or their social studies class. And then some of those things are across the board, Um, but making sure that we're really thinking about what each and every child needs and how we best support that within our schools and districts.
0: Uh, And I know you talk about uh, the gaps in society that are reflected in our schools. What are some of the gaps in society? Uh, Maybe define what you mean by the gaps uh, and how how they are manifested in our schools.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, some of the gaps, uh, I was really fortunate when um, a few weeks ago, or maybe it's been actually almost a month ago now, I was – Asked by our current Commissioner uh, Repelet to fill in for him at the New Jersey Department of Education equity conference um, in recognizing some of our districts across the state and when I was at that conference um, Tyrone Howard was the keynote speaker and raised a number of really fantastic points that I think helped to clarify this issue or where we could really best focus our attention and you know so one of the things you we need to look at are what are What are the gaps that we see in societies where we might not say things are equitable? And then looking at those because they almost always create a mirrored image in our schools. And so some of those areas are things like housing, um, access to medical care, safe neighborhoods, clean air and water, um, access to food, um, parents and their education as well as resources, support for mental health problems. And so when we look at all of those things and then we try and sort of look at those in relationship to school, some of the ways that we can see this um, to give a concrete example would be if we look at the statistics across our country, we would see that we have a very We probably have about an 80, I don't don't have the exact statistic in front of me right now, but when we look at a pie chart, we would see probably about a 20% or greater representation of special education students in our national population. And when we look and narrow that lens and we zoom in on those students and we look at Um, numbers of students taking AP classes, for example, across the country, um, we see a much smaller number, although we have a large number of of students receiving special education services. um, We have a much, much smaller number nationally of students. Uh, special education students who are taking AP classes so that would be like a concrete example of what we might see in our schools um, where these gaps persist and what are the opportunities that we have for children uh, so that they have again that equality that equal access um, to opportunities but what are how do we make it equitable by making sure that we're supporting them individually um, another space that we can look at this in, when we look at a for a concrete example, because I think concrete examples are really sort of most helpful and beneficial to us, um, is that we've been hearing for a long time now that um, you know our students aren't that we are having a problem with um, our students placing into jobs when they're ready for their careers, whether that's straight out of high school or after having served in the military um, or, and or um, after they complete college. And um, there's a recent statistic put out from a study from the International Center for Leadership in Education that there are approximately 8 million unfilled job vacancies in the U.S. And so when we dig into that, we see that there's a lot of um, a lot of different reasons for that. But in looking at it through the equity lens, um, we look at a large number of our students are not able, who want to serve our country, are not able to get into the military. Um, of course, some of those are, you know, because of the, the physical or a substance abuse issue or something else but a large majority of those students are unable to get in because they're lacking the skills um, to pass that assessment. And so if we dig deeper, and we really think of this through an equity lens, we look at what are the supports and what can we as educators be doing differently to ensure that our children um, can be and do anything uh, that they'd like to do. And so in also thinking about that unfilled job vacancies in the U.S., I would draw, um, I would draw a parallel, a, a comparison to um, our focus on our lexile levels, um, and and those are um, the levels that someone reads at, the text complexity uh, related to reading. And when we look at what's required of a a junior in high school um, to be successful, when we look at the high school literature, even college literature, um, that students are reading and many of our textbooks, we're the the text is falling below that level and so when we look to future success where students are going to need to be able to read at that level or higher um, so that they can you know again access the military um, for personal use whether it's applying for a mortgage or a car loan or reading a manual that comes with um, a new washing machine or dishwasher or even just um, things that they might be looking up or are interested in on their own or at the job level entry um, they, our students need to be able to read at a higher level so when we talk about equity we can talk about that as well so what are we doing um, to adjust and make sure you know that we have all students uh, getting over that line of uh, that benchmark so to speak so that they're able to access those materials and um, be able to have success in their personal and professional lives around it. And so those would just sort of be um, two concrete examples, I would say. And when we think, I'm circling back to your original question, because I know I sort of got on a, on a tangent there, sorry, um, and how those <laughs> gaps in society are reflected in school, I think there's two really important gaps to dig into around this. And so one is the empathy gap and what that does, um, and the expectation gap. And so – Um, I think that those are really critical when we're trying to look at this mirror image between society and what's happening in school.
0: Let's uh, drill in a little bit on those two uh, because the ones with uh, safe neighborhoods and housing are kind of concrete things, but the the empathy gap, for example, is a little bit softer and it's more of a reaction from maybe staff and others. So what is the empathy gap uh, that you see?
1: Sure, so um, the empathy gap for me is that what can happen is sometimes, um, especially for us as educators, and I can say this because I am one, I've taught all grades K to 8, but sometimes what happens is we can look at a particular child and whether it's a struggle they're having with learning or um, maybe a a struggle they're having at home or in a a place that they're coming from um, with perhaps – whether it's, it's learning or it is or so the socioeconomic lines we talked about earlier. Um, when we think about the empathy gap, that's what can happen, um, Unintentionally, or sometimes even with the best of intentions, is that we want to help, um, and we, you know, feel badly a child is struggling for whatever those reasons are. But sometimes we can inadvertently um, hold a child back or slow them down, or not offer um, those things that you know we originally talked about in our definition of equity, which is ensuring that they receive um, what they need to be successful, and not letting that come into play. So. Um, you know, it often can be referred to, um, there was a, an author, Haberman, I believe is the name, um, who looked at a pedagogy of poverty. And so we could draw lines there around um, the empathy gap. And so what happens is we start to, in our classrooms, um, in our instruction when we're looking and having that, those empathetic feelings, often we shift what we do, and so we um, might give more information rather than letting students sort of wrestle out a problem or persist um, through it to get to the other side or asking yes or no questions, uh, more simplistic, Um, questions which don't allow our students necessarily to develop their thinking in a more elaborate way and to dig in deeper uh, where they might be providing evidence and or discussing um, a question with a teacher or with classmates Uh, we think about sometimes a shift in low-level tasks um, busy work you know we see a lot of worksheets um, sometimes come into play here Um, the way that homework is assigned thinking about how we might be quick to jump into punishment um, for maybe something minor that's happened in the classroom rather than looking at it in a teachable moment sort of perspective and so I think that that empathy gap is really important to pay attention to because I think sometimes it can really impact um, the level of instruction we're bringing to students, and again ensuring that they have everything they need to be successful. I, you know one of the things my mom um, has said to me many, many years ago was when we uh, rob someone of the of the opportunity to fail, um, we rob them of the dignity to succeed and so I think sometimes that empathy gap can play out in that way, in which um, we're doing a lot of hand holding a lot of lower level um, bringing things down because we may either make false assumption about a child that they're not capable of that, or, um, you know, just, again, feeling badly for a circumstance or something that's come into that child's life, and then at the same time, you know, robbing them of those uh, tools and opportunities for, for future success.
0: And uh, so our expectations are lowered because of whatever, and I guess it would it could be an inherent bias in our on, uh, uh on someone's part, too, that they lower their expectations for that student's ability.
1: Sure. And so, I mean, that, and then that brings into play the, the opposite, which is that um, the expectation gap. And so, you know, where, how do we ensure uh, that we're raising those expectations? And, you know, I think of this actually as just having a conversation with some colleagues the other day because we can think of this often with, um, a kindergartner, but we were actually having the conversation in the context of middle schoolers and how they come in um, with an expectation. Kindergartners, it's their first, usually or often, can be their first experience with school. Um, there's an excitement and anticipation of learning, and sort of probably um, in their heads, maybe a, a, a picture of what that might look like, um, and and. Also, the same kind of thing can happen for a middle schooler when coming. We can look at this in lots of different ways, but just two examples. Um, a middle schooler comes in, again, it's a new school. I've now sort of graduated or had my moving on, you know, ceremony, and I'm now ready for this next opportunity, and sometimes we have lower um, expectations because we think, oh, this is, you know, they're a kindergartner, they're new to school, or, um, you know, middle schooler, we need to help them with those adjustments. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that when we set high expectations, um, st- not just students, people in general rise to meet those. Um, but what's critical and comes back to the equity conversation is they must be supported um, in that in that process, and so we can look at it, you know, we talked about a pedagogy of poverty in relationship to an empathy gap, but we can look at a pedagogy of plenty in relationship to the expectation gap and how do we sort of bring those two things together, Um, and those are things like, you know, we've been hearing about having experiential learning opportunities for children, um, where they have authentic tasks that apply to the world around them, and they can take Components from the different skills they're learning in the different disciplines and bring those into play um, in the classroom versus like a yes or no or a worksheet. Um, Having high quality resources available to our students. And again, that's where that differentiation piece can come in because that quality tells us everyone needs the same thing. While having access um, to those resources is really important, knowing how to help a child get the individual resources they need um, for their success is really important and, you know, is, is tricky and could be a juggling match, but critical. Um, I also think of that pedagogy of plenty, you know, looking at the connections we have, school and home, and the culture that builds around that, because we know that um, education for children is not done in a, solely in a classroom or solely in the home, um, but rather it's actually a triangle of the home Uh, the school and the community um, coming together and getting our arms around children and supporting them. But really thinking about what are those ways to cognitively challenge and help children to develop and what are the supports needed to ensure that um, they have that exposure and those opportunities to build out those skills.
0: And uh, to clarify, also when we have these feelings of not dealing with, not aware of the equity issues, we may not even be aware as a, School district or teacher or whatever that we're we're adjusting our lessons uh, due to our empathy gaps and to to our uh, expectation gaps uh, that we have changed the way we're educating people almost not even realizing what we've done
1: yeah I just I mean it's important, and we talk about it in terms of students, but I believe it about you know human mankind in general is that it's really important to recognize that we're all individuals and, you know, we have different strengths and weaknesses. We have unique sets of needs um, and how we respond to those and how others respond to us can make, make an enormous difference, um, you know, and, and we can feel it in ourselves. I mean, I think of times with my own children where, you know, perhaps, Uh, something was going on in their lives and they were going through a hard time. And, of course, I want to be supportive and be understanding um, of that. But at the same time, I don't want to cripple them or enable them uh, by not being assistive. And so I just want to be careful that that's not a misinterpretation, that I'm saying that in giving support we shouldn't have empathy, um, because I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I'm saying the complete Mm -hmm. opposite that you know, we, we need to always be mindful of the situations our students are in and what's happening for them um, in their homes and, and in their learning journey because it greatly impacts the brain's ability to access learning, especially if trauma has come into play. Um, so certainly we need to be empathetic and understanding of our students, but we just have to be careful that that doesn't begin to override and dictate or shift our instruction to the point that we're not... Um, meeting the needs of those students and giving them um, all the resources and material things that they need to be successful
0: so we kind of talked about how it reflects itself in uh, the classroom with you know with maybe one teacher or two teachers Um, but if you're looking at from a district wide and you want to make sure that you're addressing all the needs of all the students uh, excellence you know through equity and getting an entire school district. What are some things that a school district can, can do uh, district-wide?
1: Sure. Um, well, I'm privileged to be um, working in Mount Olive right now um, as the Executive Director of Personnel and Innovation. And, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing here across the district uh, really provide – we're very conscious of this and trying to – Uh, break down the barriers for students, whatever those might be. And so we have a lot of different opportunities for children at all levels, elementary, middle, and high school. And whether it's classes or electives or clubs or whatever those might be, one of the things we're doing at a district level is really looking at how do we make sure that all students, everyone has the opportunities to uh, to take those classes or be involved in the electives or the clubs. And so what are the things, so we've looked at, you know, I think district-wide, one of the things you can look at is scheduling, um, you know, to provide opportunities for students. Sometimes when we look at scheduling, a place that it can come into play is, of course, we want to provide extra support. Um, and reinforcement for learning in areas where students are struggling. So we might have, you know, a math lab or a math workshop or whatever you might be calling it. Same for language arts often exists. And often when those classes meet um, and those students are getting that extra support that they need, which is equitable, uh, they're also missing out, though, on opportunities to expand their knowledge base, to attach learning to experiences to grow individually Um, and so we have to look at scheduling to see you know what are the what are the places and spaces we can make to ensure that um, children are not you know not having opportunities to be part of things that um, they might be passionate about or help them to learn where there's what they might be interested in in the future so I think that's certainly an area that districts can be looking at I think um, looking across and, and making sure um, I know we re- talked about AP a little bit in the beginning but you know at the high school le- level when we look at those courses many times uh, there's a criteria built around who can and cannot um, participate or take those classes and so maybe looking uh, differently at the um, approach to those courses so that they are available to all children and then what are the you know what are the supports Uh, What are the the, um, expectations, again, of uh, Pedagogy of Plenty that we offer that help students to get uh, more of those opportunities? Um, On a very, like, uh, a rooted level, I think, you know, districts can be looking at their curriculum. Um, We have a lot of conversations happening in the state right now around, um, you know, how are we helping our students to be prepared to be global citizens, um, you know, not only in their future, but now. How do we, I mean, if anyone's heard me speak, you hear me talk all the time about the three voices of speech, um, passion, and then lastly, the heart. And, and I think, you know, how are we helping students to see that um, they can lend a voice, give a voice, um, give back, now as a student and regardless of what they have or don't have in their own lives that they also can be a contributor and so I think we can dig deep around this issue into our curriculum to really look at A, are we perpetuating um, some of these things that might break down equity and opportunities for children? But also, what are the experiences, uh, what are the ways that we incorporate this into instruction to allow students opportunities um, to to grow and um, to see themselves having a role and a space um, in the world around them? Um, be, be it their local community or, or something they care about nationally or, or you know, it, that's happening in our world. Um, I think other areas that districts can really look at is personalized learning is a fantastic opportunity to look at equity um, in education. And, again, we've talked about differentiated instruction um, and what that looks like for children and how we um, adjust and how teachers, you know, are so wonderful about being flexible um, and accommodating and and really tapping into the students in their classroom. And personalized learning is just another expansion of that um, in terms of thinking about what are the opportunities? How are we we using technology? Are we using it as a, a glorified, you know, notebook or overhead projector to date myself? or are we extending it, helping it to extend education for children? Um, Often personalized learning is thought of as um, technology-based learning, and I believe that personalized learning is is like making a tailored suit for someone, Um, and so it's a blending of all different kinds of learning and what that looks like, and the uh, percentages of that is gonna vary from child to child depending on their needs, and that's the very point of it, Um, just like for, you know students who um, may have uh, need some additional supports in the classroom when we develop an individual education plan for them personalized learning to me is the development of that sort of individualized plan for each one of our learners and then I think you know again um, as board members who might be listening into this call um, definitely thinking about allocation of resources so um, you know, when we go back to that equality, it means we buy, you know, one of everything for everyone. And, you know, when we dig deep into equity and we really uh, dig in and, and, you know, use surveys and look across our districts at where are we succeeding and where could we use support – we can really then begin to think about the allocation of resources. And maybe it's not, you know, we do something across the board, but we tap into where there are specific needs or where we could be improving and um, supporting our children. And then lastly I would say that of course using data to inform instruction is really critical. And I am a huge proponent that data is not just about the numbers, but numbers tell a story about children. Um, When we dig in and we have deep conversations and we really look because we cannot have conversations based on one picture of a child, we need to create the scrapbook um, and that helps us to be equitable across the board in our practices, whether it's instruction in the classroom, our budgets and allocations of resources, our facilities, um, you know, all of the different components that come together for a district. Um, I think that the data can really help us um, to guide us um, and be a light in making those decisions.
0: All right. Well, you used the word light. So I'm going to – kind of like I asked for a district-wide, and I was thinking uh, I know when you were commissioner, and it's still going on and it's a a great program, but it kind of highlights some of the things that you were talking about, the Lighthouse District Initiative. And uh, they have, first of all, our – student body is a very diverse student body in New Jersey so we have to look at this is why equity might be really important is that we have to look at every student not just the majority but um what's a, uh what's a lighthouse district for those who do not know about the initiative and why you think it's an important uh initiative
1: sure so um, several years ago, um, myself and a team of uh, from my senior leadership, we got together and we were trying to figure out, you know, I'm a huge proponent of celebrating educators. We hear, you know, on the news and now on social media, um, you know, if something goes wrong, it's going to be all over those various platforms. Uh, but really, how could we counterbalance that because we know that there are so many amazing things happening in, um, in our state and the way that educators are serving students. And so um, we developed the Lighthouse District Initiative um, because the Lighthouse, what it does is it shines a light, as we all know, to help bring ships safely into the shore. And so... Um, so what we were looking to do in celebration is looking for districts who are twofold. So um, shining a light on their students um, and especially making gains with diverse learners. So, you know, what are those districts doing where when we look across the data that's telling the story and not just um, standardized testing data but lots of different data points, when we look and we see something's jumping off the page and we say, wow. I wonder what's happening here, going and finding that out, because um, I think what's really happening is that we're finding that uh, those districts that we've celebrated so far, they're really digging in to shine that light on each and every learner um, to ensure that there is equity and um, what is it that those students need to make sure that they're making the gains to be successful. Um, And the other second component of it was, not only can they be a light because they're shining a light on their own students, but we felt like if we could really start to learn from them and, and pull them into helping us develop trainings and initiatives at the department, um, we could really use them to start serving as lights to other districts as well who might be struggling with a similar group of learners and by sharing best practices um, you know, could really look at what's happening uh, across. The other reason for me with this particular initiative is that All too often when we give recognitions, either A, it's something that people can sign up for and um, being a lighthouse district isn't something that you apply for, like to be a Blue Ribbon school or a sustainable school or any of these other components. um, You're found, actually. Um, And so... I wanted this to be something that wasn't based primarily on, um, you know, numbers of students, meaning or exceeding, you know, standards on standardized testing, et cetera, because one of the things that we know is that um, growth is very different from proficiency. And so in our standardized testing, we look at proficiency levels of students. Um, but what can happen is that growth can be masked. By the peers, so sometimes when we're looking at proficiency, um, we can, you know, look at our overall scores and assume we're doing a great job and should continue moving ahead. Um, but meanwhile, we could have pockets of children with uh, diverse backgrounds or in our subpopulations who may we may not be serving to our fullest, but um, they're masked because of the the uh, proficiency data of the peers. So that's one thing, and that's that shining a light on each and every. Student and making sure that they aren't um, not being seen because of the, those kinds of situations. But the other thing with growth and proficiency is that um, we, have a, we have a lot of districts who are doing incredible, incredible things for their students, um, and their students are still maybe a ways away from being proficient on a standardized test but they're showing tremendous gains in growth. And and to me, that's really, really important because if our eyes are only on proficiency, we're overlooking uh, tremendous um, best practices, things that have been put into play. I mean, one of our lighthouse districts, something that pops right into mind for me was that um, they were digging into their absentee records and um Found, the, you know, meeting and visiting families and homes to try to figure out like what were those barriers and how could they get those children to school. And one of the things that the superintendent happened to find out in this uh, in these conversations was that um, in this particular case the the parents didn't have access to laundry detergent or it would run out and they weren't going to send their children to school dirty and so the the superintendent not only had like little laundry packets that could go home um, to families but also put in a washer and dryer in the school and and I know that sounds um, simple, but you know it, it's one example that you might not think well that's equitable or how does that equate to learning but it absolutely does because we're breaking down a barrier that prevents um, students from accessing their education and so that's just one concrete example but our lighthouse districts are just doing incredible things and we want to put them in a place where um, they can mentor and lead and again you know commissioner repelette is continuing on on this initiative which i'm so grateful and and he's not only continuing on he's expanding it and taking it to another level um, and so, hopefully, you know, this my first cohort of Lighthouse districts has now joined his um, first cohort. So we have two cohorts, and bringing them together um, to really dig into this issue, and to help us because they're closest to serving the children. Of how do we do um, a better job, and what are the things we can be supporting um, to really help districts and schools um, make a bigger difference in this um, in this issue.
0: Yeah, it isn't. I, I was always taken back by that district that you were talking about that, you know, just looking at the data uh, for whatever group it is, uh, whatever the subgroup, can make a difference because at least you may not even know there was a problem uh, unless you look at that data and start to address it. And uh, I think it was a great idea to highlight those districts. Plus, I think we can all learn from each other. Um Absolutely. I'm going to move on. Absolutely. Sure. Um uh, Uh, You talk about safe spaces and brave spaces. If we're making changes, if we're dealing with uh, uh, tough issues, uh, uh, you know, my initial thing is a safe space is always good. But why don't you uh, address what a safe space is, and then we'll get into the brave space.
1: Sure. And, again, this is another – this is something that, you know, I've been researching into, especially um, as I look at – work with different students in schools I've had the opportunity um, to, to work with, and I think of especially the new U team in West Windsor-Plainsboro, who's a group of students um, who are giving training to teachers and parents um, on mental health and helping um, people to understand the physiological of what's happening in the brain um, as students navigate through um you know mature, maturation as well as um, when they encounter stress and then what are some of the tools and things that um, they can help support their children with and so that sort of I met them about five years ago now and it's really I've continued to work closely with them but really had me thinking a lot about those safe spaces and those places that we give children to sort of step out you know a lot of schools and districts have um, created you know rooms where kids can go to kind of do some breathing or a little yoga and there's maybe counselors or support people there um, but uh, when dr. Howard was speaking at the equity conference you know he compared safe spaces to brave spaces and, I, and it really resonated with me and feel like it's something that I have had a hard, harder time articulating um, but think is really critical and so that safe space um, is what I just referred to um, you know is like ideally a place whether it's it could be a teacher's classroom, where maybe they have something they hang on their door or window that lets children know, like, "Hey, this is a, you know, an accepting classroom. Like, all are welcome. You know, there will be, no, you know, all of these things." But it can also be literally a space, a classroom, a room that's created as a place where people can go when they need some additional affirmation or they're feeling fearful, um, and it allows them safety to sort of regroup, reset the brain, and re-enter classroom. But a brave space. Um, it's really all about uh, not necessarily a literal space, but encouraging dialogue uh, where we start to recognize differences in people and holding each other accountable um, to sharing experiences, learning from one another, maybe coming to a new understanding about something we were, had a preconceived notion about. Um, and that's hard, and it, it's uncomfortable. It's, you know, it's, it's hard work. Um, but I think ultimately when we look at this issue, Um, You know, we can't do this, A, in isolation. There's no particular resource you can buy or class you can put into place that's going to address this issue. It's really gonna be a culmination of um, people coming together, adults, children, um, and and really learning and tackling hard issues and, um, you know, maybe getting a better understanding for something that that is foreign to us so that we can uh, learn how to better serve in our schools and districts and our and the children that we have
0: and so you need to have both of them you need to have both a, a safe space and i know a lot of districts are doing that
1: Absolutely. but moving
0: to the, the the brave space is a little bit a little bit more difficult i guess
1: sure and i think i mean there's lots of different ways to pursue that so you know it can be things like we, we talk to children about speaking up or standing up in a bullying situation, and we can do those things, speaking up and standing up um, for equity. Um, we can challenge, you know, normalization of, you know, failure and, and, and dig in deeper to get to root causes for that and look for ways to navigate around and to embrace and support. Um, you know, we can make sure that we're providing our students with guidance so that, You know, and and having those conversations, again, over and over again, and every time I talk to you, Ray, I know we talk about this, is the importance of conversations and building relationships because we need to be talking to students. I mean, obviously, we're going to see some of these issues, they're they're made plain to us through data or other um, avenues, but also in having conversations with children, you know, we can learn, like, what is it that they hope to be? Um, you know, what is a barrier or where do they feel frustrated or, um, you know, something that they'd love to do and don't have the opportunity. And while we, we may not be able to make all of those things happen, it, it gives us information, you know, to start to gather and dig in to look at what else could we be doing differently um, and, and from their perspective because what we as adults sometimes think is the reason or the root cause, when we have a conversation with a child, they're not afraid to tell us you know, um, what it is that they would like or where they're having difficulty, um, especially when it's a a culture that's been created of support. And I think that's something that districts in New Jersey are really doing a tremendous job uh, shifting that what that looks like.
0: And we'll be coming to our close. I would think the conversation, uh, and I'll put this in, is the boards need to have that conversation with their administration. How are we dealing with, equity in our district uh what is the data that we're looking at those are the type of big picture so that they make sure that everyone's talking about it This yeah, is a top about it. Uh, actually, everyone better. should be how talking about how are we
1: allocating it? our resources when we have those budget conversations because you know board members are those critical partners absolutely
0: okay any other final uh thoughts that you want to bring on this topic or uh, uh pieces of advice that you would pass on to a Um, board or administration
1: I just think I I mean I guess my piece of advice would be just always remembering um, both with children and adults that seeing an individual and for somebody to truly feel seen and believed in um, can make an enormous difference and help to guide um, our actions and uh, our direction Um, I'd love to just say to whoever's on the line, whether it's a board member, an administrator, a teacher, a parent, a student, whoever's out there, um, that I just want to thank you for the the many ways that you advocate and or support in your various roles. Uh, Children in New Jersey, we are really fortunate and our students here um, to have such incredible partners and advocates on their behalf. Um, I'm going to be at school boards next week and can't wait to see everyone Um, and I'm just so grateful. Uh, Ray, to you for reaching out and inviting me to be part of this conversation.
0: Well, Kimberly, it's always my pleasure, and it's an important topic, and I think it's one that the conversations need to be had all the time uh, at all levels, uh, so that we're trying to meet the needs of all our students. Um, so, Kimberly, I'd like to thank you for joining me on this uh, podcast, and I will be seeing you next week uh, at workshop, and I hope everyone, I see uh, all the other listeners, too. So I'd like to thank everyone for having a, uh listening in. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Ray.
0: Okay, bye now.
1: Bye.